we're launching into a new series on the book of Proverbs. Wisdom from heaven for life on earth. Learning to walk in wisdom before God is the topic tonight. So let's just pause for a minute. We constantly need the reminder that you are a strong God. When life aligns itself before us, the things that, the things that structure themselves uh, against our walk with you, against our growth in grace, when the things arrayed against us look bigger than we are, what a comfort it is to know that our God is strong and that our God is mighty and that there is nothing that is as great or as strong as our God. And it's not some useless parade of flexing muscle. It's a bestowal of strength on his people. And so we are grateful for your might. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we frequently praise you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And tonight we celebrate your strength. We are so glad that you are a strong God. Give him praise, church. Hallelujah. For your might and your strength, your strong arm. Praise your name. Praise your name. And we come again to your word. If there's anything we want, it's to walk in wisdom. And so come and... Open our eyes and open our hearts to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we're going to launch into uh, the book of Proverbs, but it's not going to be verse by verse through Proverbs. Rather, it's going to be subject by subject through Proverbs. And there are a lot of subjects covered in the book of Proverbs. It's practical. Things like wisdom, foolishness, Wealth, poverty, anger, temper, friendship, family, honesty, work, leisure, pride, humility, happiness, sorrow, life, death. We are blessed because we will get to see under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit So this isn't like an Ann Landers thing. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we get to see what some of the wisest people who have ever lived said about these subjects. I said some of the wisest people because contrary to what many people think, Proverbs had more than one author. We know that. We know that from reading the book itself. Uh, some were written by, Prover- by Solomon himself. Some were penned by Augur, the son of Jacob. That's 30 verse 1. You can see that. Some were composed by King Lemuel, 31.1. Others were Proverbs of Solomon, but they weren't penned by Solomon. They were written down by some of Hezekiah's scribes, 25.1. And so the Holy Spirit used a lot of people, and you have this amalgamation of the book of Proverbs. 
Another thing, there's a lot of people, you might encounter it, who, who will go to the book of Proverbs, clever people who will go to the book of Proverbs to show you what they think are, are contradictions in the Bible. Like, answer a fool according to his folly, blah, 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 blah. And then verses later, don't answer a fool according to his folly or such and such and such and such. And they'll say, see, look, the Bible contradicts itself. And usually they go to Proverbs to do that. And the reason that doesn't work is because Proverbs, like the title says, it's a collection of sayings that apply differently in different situations. We know it just in Proverbs that we use today. He who hesitates is lost. How many have heard that? Okay, here's another one. Look before you leap. Which of those is true? They're saying different things. One is saying, don't hesitate. The other is saying, now you examine things before you make a choice. So they contradict. Which is true? Well, sometimes you apply this one to a situation. Sometimes you apply that one to a situation. That's what you have in the book of Proverbs. I only say that. Don't let some wise guy corner you and say, look, this proverb says this and this one says the exact opposite and you Christians think the Bible is inerrant. That's just nonsense and everybody knows it is. Let me say something quickly about the structure of the book of Proverbs because... um, as I hope maybe you'll see tonight, the structure has a great deal to do with the teaching, and I'll try and show you what I mean by that. If you were to take a rough outline, is this in your notes, a rough outline of the book of Proverbs? Okay, good. So it would go something like this. This isn't precise. It's, it's general and approximate, all right? So an introduction would be chapter 1, 1 to 7. Then you'd have a praise to the virtue of wisdom. That would be 1, 8 to about 9, 18. Proverbs of Solomon run from chapter 10, actually, to about 22.16. Then you have a collection of words of wise men, it says, 22.17 to 24.34. Then you have Hezekiah's collection of more of Solomon's Proverbs. That's 25 to about the end of 29. The words of Agur, that's 31 to 33. Words of King Lemuel, 31, 1 to 9, and then... The excellent wife. Praise of the excellent wife, 31, 10 to 31. And the point I make in citing that is there's a reason we're starting our study. Tonight, the subject is learning to walk in wisdom before God. Because long before you come to the actual Proverbs... Long before you come to a collection of the sayings by these several authors, the way the book of Proverbs starts is a praise of wisdom in general. It's, it's, like, it's like we're not just ready to go into the sayings, the Proverbs, and just start applying them to our lives. The first part of the book is sort of designed to, you know how you're going to do your gardening And you go out in the springtime, and you don't just stick stuff in the soil. You know how it is after the winter, and the soil gets all dried out, and there's junk in the soil. You go out there with a spade, at least you should, and you till it. See, farmer talk, I know. You till the soil, and you work it up. So what, what 
the book of Proverbs does, before it gets into the sayings, it says, now, you, you need to have a heart. You need to have a heart that treasures wisdom. Before you know what's right, you need to have a heart that wants to do what's right. Or the Proverbs will just be like seed that you throw on a cement driveway. Nothing, nothing will germinate. Nothing will happen in the life. And so we're taught something important before we actually get into the Proverbs themselves. And where I want to go to see that is Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands with you. And then look at these phrases now. Making your ear attentive. Who does the, the making? Well, we do. You have to do that. Our ear apparently isn't naturally always inclined to wisdom. So you, you make it. You, you force your ear to actually be more attentive than you would normally be while you were trying to listen to several things at once. So you, you, you'll, put, you'll, have to, you'll have to leave the internet and the cable TV because you won't be ready to receive wisdom until you make your ear attentive. not accidental that the priest, the priest before going into the presence of God in the Old Testament would read, he takes oil and he anoints the lobe of his ear. What's that all about? God's going to speak. And you can't do it with dull hearing. Making your ear attentive to wisdom. And then look at this one. And inclining your heart. You know what an incline is? You, 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 you have a ball, and you, you make an incline, and then the ball will roll down the hill, because it's never going to roll up the hill. So what you have to do is, if God's Word, particularly the Proverbs, but God's Word in general, if it's going to have any lasting effect in my life, I have to take my heart and tilt it, incline it in a direction so that the things of God flow, run into my life readily. Did you spend more time watching the Blue Jays this past week than studying God's Word? You get what I'm saying? Incline your heart toward me. Bend it in that direction. Slope it in that direction. The benefits of the Proverbs... It has to be truly hungered after. Look at that third verse. If you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver. Have you seen all the commercials on TV lately about buying silver? And buying gold? The precious metals? If you seek it like silver, search for it like hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So, hunger for wisdom. You have to... Bend your back. Stretch your muscles for truth. Like, like, you would, like you would find a spot where you thought there was some kind of buried treasure under the surface of the soil. And you didn't have like a backhoe or something. It was just you and a shovel on a hot day with the sun beating down and the sweat running down your forehead. And you dig, you dig, you dig. 
The contemporary idea that the church, the church's job is to make it so that God's word is just naturally appealing and light and positive and wonderful to everybody in the world, you won't get from studying God's word. It, you know, we come here, we open up our Bibles, and I'm not Big Bird, and this isn't Sesame Street. And, and you, you, you dig and you hunger for God's word. Cry out for it. So I learned something, okay? Before we even get into the Proverbs, if this is true, if Proverbs 2, 1 to 5 is true, then biblical truth won't enter my life the way a television program enters it, or the way a movie enters it, or the way the internet will enter it. You, you receive nothing from the Word in a passive sense. And that's why... Before a single proverb comes sparkling into our ears, we're given, get this, nine chapters. Before the actual words and proverbs of Solomon, we're given nine chapters begging us to get down on our knees and claw through the soil. There's a reason. There's a reason people aren't... You ever had somebody tell you, I'm I'm just not being fed? You ever have someone say that to you? There, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. There's a lot of people that wish they knew the Bible better. There's a lot of people that admire God's word. They just don't dig. They don't study. They don't meditate. So tonight, we're going to take a real quick tour of perhaps the primary subject in the book of Proverbs. Subject of wisdom. All right? You ready? Okay, hold back. Don't get, don't get crazy on me. Calm down. One, what exactly is wisdom? If it's so valuable, how do we define it? If, if we get the definition wrong, if we think we know what wisdom is... But we're not starting out properly, um, the search won't go well. And, And that's not just theory. Let me show you from God's Word what happens when people think they're pursuing wisdom, but they really aren't. Okay? Here's a very famous example of which we are still reaping tragic consequences Genesis 3 4 to 6. This is a conversation primarily about wisdom, the nature of wisdom, and finding wisdom. The serpent said to the woman, that's Eve, you will not surely die. Remember, God told Adam and Eve not to the one tree. They weren't to eat of the fruit of just one tree, and if they did, they would surely die. The serpent, Satan, comes, no, no, no. You will not surely die. Five, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now look it. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to what? To make one wise. She took its fruit and ate. Gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate. Why did they eat? What they were looking for was wisdom. Now, behold the consequences of not knowing the nature of true wisdom. Eve eats the fruit. 
She was the first person, nowhere near the last, to think that there would be something, some course of action, some elusive prize, some kind of wisdom that she would gain, something that would put her life on a higher level. And millions of people repeat Eve's blunder every day. They try to build a good life, a sound life, a wise life, ignoring God's will. There's something they're desperately trying to do with their lives. They have, maybe you're like this in this room. You've got a goal for your life that doesn't have God's will in it. Okay? You've got a goal for your life that doesn't have God at the center of it. And here's this example of Eve that says, you can try to pursue wisdom in any way you want. But if you leave God out of it, it's going to be disastrous. If you're here and you're like 25 years old, let me tell you, if you're choosing a direction for your life and you're leaving God out of it, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be, not maybe, it's going to be a disaster. Eve thinks there's something here that will, that will make her life tick. Nothing is wise. We learn this first of all. Nothing is wise, truly wise, that doesn't have God's will at the center of it. And so, Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the first part of wisdom. If you don't start right, you can't finish right. Remember the simple illustration. It's like you're buttoning up your coat. You get the first button in the wrong hole, and you're going to be wrong all the way down, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Start there. Start there. It's the beginning point for a wise life. If you can't be sure of everything, and who of us can, then at least start properly at the beginning. Bring God into the first part of every confusing issue. I learned my lessons like you way too slowly. And I've sure made my share of mistakes. But I'm 60 years old now. And let me tell you one thing I'm absolutely positive about. There come, if you sat in my office, there's not one month, not one month of the year, not one month of the year when things don't come my way in this church and I haven't got a clue what's the best thing to do. I know you're shocked at that. And if there's anything I slowly, slowly learn is don't make major decisions until you're sure you're in the presence of God. Make major decisions in the presence of God. Bring God into the first part of every confusing issue. If you don't know the whole journey, if you can't see the end result, if you aren't sure how something is all going to pan out long term, bring God into it at the very beginning. Let me suggest, this isn't in your notes, let me suggest that you make this a very practical part of your life. Do you want to be a wise person? And I think we would all say yes. 
do we all agree the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? And I think we'd all say, yeah, I guess so. It's, it's what that means. That's the tricky part, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let me give you some practical suggestions how you can flesh this out. There's nothing, this isn't rocket science. I'll give you three things. Give God the first part of your income. Secondly, give God the first part of every day. Third, give God the first day of every week. And do those three things for the rest of your life. Why? Because the fear of the Lord, it's the starting place. It's where you begin things if you want to be truly wise. So let's get the right definition of wisdom. Here's what we know for sure. A, wisdom in the book of Proverbs is first defined as understanding or insight. Look at 2, 2, and 3. Make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. Notice how many times in those phrases... The words wisdom, understanding, discernment, those kinds of, of verbs are linked together. It's really the essence of wisdom in Proverbs. It, it essentially, wisdom has to do with sorting out choices, establishing priorities. Whether, whether, whether you are young or old, boy, life, life uh, comes at you with a barrage of options, doesn't it? All the time. So many doors you can go through. So many choices you... The business of living is just never simple. So this is where wisdom starts to manifest itself. It's so much deeper than just knowledge or just accumulation of data. Now, that kind of... Knowledge is important. You need to know what God's word says or you'll never be able to obey it. So there's nothing here against factual knowledge. We need more of that, not less. Having said that, wisdom isn't just having the information. Wisdom is having a heart that's inclined in the direction of God's will and God's way. Wisdom reveals itself in the actual point of choice, in the actual path in the actual direction. Solomon writes about it. And the beautiful thing is to see from God's word how he actually lived it himself. 1 Kings 3.9, he's, he's, he's coming to rule. And he says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. There you go. I mean, let's face it, any king, any leader, for that matter, can, can have decisions motivated by all sorts of things. You see, you see the three parties, and the leaders are all out making their speeches. Be thankful. We get it for what? We get it for five months, or in the U.S., they get it for two years. Think, good night. And so there they all are, all of North America right now, leaders running around, and you know what they're all doing? Promising you money. 
security, employment, better wages. How many of you believe everything you hear from politicians and what they promise you? Let me see your hand. Yeah, that's about what I thought. Zero. Zero. Why? Well, because we, we know, we know that people can be motivated by all sorts of things. One is the desire to be elected. And you sure can't tell people the truth if you want them to vote for you. So political pressures, the lure of popularity, everybody wants to be liked, especially if you lead anything, leading a church, leading a Bible study, leading a class, leading a, leading a group in the community, leading a political party, leading anything, you, you don't want people not to like you, and so you want to choose things that will make them like you. Of course, the bigger the group, the harder that gets because here's, here's two groups in the same church. One of them likes you if you choose this. The other one won't like you if you choose that. They like you if you choose this, but then this group won't like you if you choose that. So, so wisdom. Wisdom at its heart is someone who says, Oh God, help me to choose what is right and help me to shun what is evil. What people will think and the way things will go, I can't see. But in my heart, I want to be, I want to be wise. I want to be wise. One of the advantages of growing a little older, living through a little more of life, you hopefully accumulate something. And here's what you learn after pastoring one congregation for 33 years. People are very gracious for the most part. They usually say nicer things about you than you deserve. But then very quickly you learn something. You learn that somehow between Sunday and Thursday, people can go from loving you to really not liking you when something happens that they don't like. And if the emotions and pressures and passions of the moment, if they rule you, you don't have a prayer. How many remember my dad? People here remember, yeah. Remember one of the, one of the last things he said to me? Um, he had been out of this church for a long time. And I was going through something and I talked to him about it. He said, you know, Don, I'll tell you something. Sooner or later, you have to have some convictions in your own heart, and you have to do what you think is right. And you have to trust God with the results of that. One of the things I delight in is the simple fact that you look around even on a night like tonight, I get to talk to so many young people and young adults. Let me give you the best advice I know, the essence of wisdom. If in every confusing, perplexing, scary, pressurized decision you ever make, you will blow away all the smoke, get down on your knees in the presence of God, and just ask, what is, what is the right thing to do here? What would God have me to do? 
My belief is God will order your steps and protect you from mistakes you can't even imagine yet that you'll make if you leave God out of the picture. He will protect you from mistakes you can't even imagine. I don't mean by that you'll always be popular and everybody will always agree with you, but you'll go to bed at night, put your head on your pillow and say, my heart is clean. It's worth a million bucks. B, wisdom is obedience to God's laws. Proverbs 7, 1 to 5. My son, keep my words, treasure up my commandments with you. Verse 2, keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablets of your heart. Do you get his point? Bind them, write them, keep them, love them, hold them. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress and her smooth words. And what he's saying, there's one example of temptation. It's not the only one. There's a multitude of temptations that come. And the thing is, if you will, day by day, the kind of things I talked about, give God Give God the first part of every day. Give God the first part of your income. Give God the first part of the first day of every week. Give God first place in every decision. Make decisions in the presence of God. If you do those things and it doesn't look like all that much is happening right at that moment, you're keeping your life from temptation that you can't even see down the road from a multiple of different sources. The writer of Proverbs has the same problem communicating that we all have in communicating how good the commandments of God are because the commandments of God don't feel good when you want to do something different. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? The commandments of God don't feel good when you want to do something different. We all know how important obedience is. We all know that God's laws are important it's the part of the sermon where people can just kind of start to yawn. Not because they disagree, but just because, okay, it goes without saying. And so, the writer of Proverbs is trying to find a way of, of waking us up to how important obedience is. He says, when you choose obedience, you're choosing life. That's the first thing he does. He links the commandments with the entrance of life. Keep my commandments and live. 7-2. The tricky thing about obedience is this. You have to go down the road of obedience a little ways before you actually start to see the blessing in obedience. Do you get what I'm saying? When you're standing at the fork in the road between obeying the Lord and not obeying in the Lord and you haven't yet committed... When you look at it like that, your own way frequently looks very desirable. That's the tricky part about obedience. If we all had vision to see the future and know the future, and we could see where our own way will take and where obedience will take us, well, then we'd just choose obedience every time. But the problem is, when we're right at the fork in the road. So am, am I going to... Am I going to date this person who isn't a Christian? Am I going to end my marriage when I, I know God wants to work things out and make this a permanent union? 
Am I going to watch this movie, this podcast? I know it isn't pleasing to the Lord, but everybody's, there's a lot of buzz and a lot of hype. And, and when you're standing there looking at the choices, no, choose Christ or choose your own way, this one will always look more glamorous. But, but when you take a few steps into obeying Jesus, here's what you find. Choose Christ and choose obedience to Christ, and you'll find looking back how stupid the option really was, the other choice. Always remember, obedience brings life. You choose life, you choose death. Choose life. God's exams are really so easy, eh? Just, just in case you don't know, he comes and he says, here, door number one is life. Door number two is death. And even there, just in case he thinks we're so blind, he says, oh, and by the way, choose door number one. That's how God does it. Choose life. Just in case I have to tell you, choose life instead of death, okay? Obey me. Choose obedience. The other thing, obedience brings light. That's the second thing. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. How many grew up in Sunday school, and you can remember, there won't be many of you maybe, do you remember singing, Keep me, Jesus, as the apple of thine eye. Anybody remember singing that? Come on, how many? Okay, there's about seven of you. I grew up in an old-fashioned Pentecostal Sunday school in the basement of the church, and we sang that song. And I never had the foggiest idea what that was all about. What is this apple I keep me Jesus as the apple of your eye? Okay, fine. Uh, I'll sing it. The apple of the eye is the pupil. It's the part that helps the eye to see properly because it regulates the amount of light so that you don't have to squint or it won't be too dark to make out anything clearly. The writer says, keep my commandments and live my teaching as the apple of your eye. As you, as you follow the Lord, as you obey his ways, not just learn them, walk in them, this is how obedience brings wisdom because it brings clarity. It helps you th- see things as they really are. Hebrews 5.14 says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become, underscore become. They weren't born this way. They became dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Why? What's wrong with these people? These Christian people, what's wrong with them? Well, 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Solid food is for the mature. Okay, how how will we recognize the mature, those that are ready for solid food? For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish Good from evil. 
I read those verses for a long time before I actually asked the most important question. How can we train ourselves in the area of discerning good from evil? I mean, either you know good and evil or you don't. Doesn't that make sense? Like, How do you, how do you train yourself that way? And to learn this important secret, you have to look at the big picture of those verses. It's, it's a word picture. It's, it's about how spiritual exercise is like physical exercise. So here I am, and I don't have a gym membership, and I want to go and I want to lift weights. And I go and, uh, and I try, and, and, I try and, and lift 100 pounds, and I find I can't do it. Is it true that there's nothing I can do for the rest of my life to ever lift 100 pounds? Is that true? Can I get to the place where I could lift 100 pounds? I could, couldn't I? But I can't right now. So what I would have to do, I would go to a gym, and I would start lifting whatever weight I could lift right now. Probably it's way more than 100 pounds, but let's just say... And so I would grab that 12 pounds <laughs> and I would just, I would lift that repeatedly. I, I would start lifting what I can lift now. And after a few weeks, I'd, I'd go to 20 pounds and then I'd go to 40 pounds. And after a couple years, I'd go to 90 pounds those who by reason of their use have trained themselves to discern good from evil. And the principle, the really important principle is this. If you want to be a wise person, it doesn't come from studying Confucius and fortune cookies. It comes from taking the areas where you know you need to obey God right now. What's he talking to you about now? What is in your life that needs changing now? What is in your life that needs exercising now? Spiritually, I'm talking about. What is it? What, it, what are the steps you can take to, to love Christ more, to love his word more, to love his will more? And you do those things, and you know what it does? It builds an appetite for more of God's will and way, and it builds more discernment to recognize what will get you there and what won't. You can't become a person of wisdom by sitting here listening to me talk about it. That's just a first step. But the only way you can become wise, it's the only way I can become wise, is we start, we start exercising wise moral choices on the level where we are right now with what God has given us. How can you serve him right now? Do you want to be a missionary one day? How can you serve him right now? Do you want to be a teacher one day in the body of Christ, a teacher of his word? How can you serve him right now? And you train yourself in the things of God. You exercise yourself in the things of God. Three, we're almost done. Wisdom works best when God's law is attached to your life permanently and intimately. Seven, three to five of Proverbs. Bind them on your fingers. These are the, 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 the commands of God. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. 
and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Just two quick thoughts. Note the verbs indicating the permanent attachment of wisdom to the life. The verbs bind, write, attach. It, it's like putting something down in indelible ink. It's, it's like it's making and marking something deeply on the tablets of your heart so that it can't be removed. That won't happen overnight. It takes constant work. It takes a lot of diligence. Second, notice the intimacy implied by the relationship to wisdom. Say, say to wisdom, you are my sister, my intimate friend. If, if the ways of God, the will of God, as it's primarily revealed in Scripture and then by the Holy Spirit through conscience and the inward witness of the Spirit, but, but the will of God as it's revealed, if it's something you pull out when you really feel you're in a bind, like you would pull out a map when you know for sure you're lost. Or turning on the GPS in your car when you've, when you've already tried every road you can think of to get where you're going and you finally recognize you need help. And then you put it away because you've reached your destination. So, so if that's what God's Word is, like an occasional reference point, something you refer to, That kind of attachment to the ways of God has no transforming power whatsoever. We need to think about that. Jeremiah says, your words were found and I ate them. I love that. I ate them up. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. See, that, that's where you want to get to. That's where you want to get to. Everyone knows what you do with a book. You take it off the shelf, you study it, then you close it, and you put it back on the shelf. That will never have a transforming approach. That's why Jeremiah says, your words were found, and I didn't read them. I gobbled them up. And he says, they, they became a joy. As you, as you walk in the ways of wisdom, you grow in the delight of wisdom. When you're looking at choosing God's way over yours and you haven't committed yet to choose God's way, they look equally appealing. You have to go down the road with wisdom. And then you realize this choice was utterly ridiculous. So there's two W's. Worship. We're pretty big on worship wisdom. And I'm saying, let's be a church that embraces the two W's, not just one W. And everyone said...